Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church, Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another, and impacting the world. I do invite you to turn in your Bible to 2 Corinthians. Once again, our series started a couple of weeks ago, and uh, the second chapter, and just a, a few verses from chapter uh, verse 5 to verse 11. Follow with me in your Bible, and God speaking to us through His Word. Now, if anyone has caused pain, He has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him, for this is why I wrote that I might test and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. So just so far... And Lord, again, we pray again and again, acknowledging our dependence on you. And Lord, praying that you would lead us in this passage this morning. And, and Lord, helping us to see uh, the greatness of your grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. Help me, Lord, in the words that I speak, to speak simply and clearly and accurately. Lord, that each of us also receive your word and willingness to obey, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we do come to a passage today, I said is somewhat difficult, but necessary. And the reason is, sadly, there are times, there are many times, I hope not too many times, when the church needs to take disciplinary action. It's not something we like to talk about, it's not something we even like to think about, but there are those times when disciplinary action toward the persistent, ungodly behavior of a member. Something must be done. And so my very first point this morning, I'm diving into this message, is the need for church discipline. Now I know already, we're beginning to think, do we really want to talk about this? The need for church discipline. We are going to see today that the church cannot turn a blind eye to the blatant, persistent sin of a member of the body of Christ. The, ne- the neglect of church discipline towards, and I don't know what to really speak or describe this person as, but let me speak of a deviant member, is seen to be a serious matter. And we see this uh, in the church of Corinth. Paul had written in his the, the first letter that we have in chapter 5, verse 1. Uh, listen to what he says. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. Now he describes the situation. For a man has his father's wife, and you're arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? 
Let him who has done this be removed from among you. There's the exercise of church discipline. No, not just back in Corinth. I'm going to give you two examples uh, in my experience in ministry. At a previous church where I served, it was necessary to discipline two members. And what had happened is these two members, they were in fact part of my Bible study, two the two spouses decided from different marriages to shack up together in an adulterous relationship. They had to discipline. It was very difficult. Then even here at Central, some years ago, we removed a man from our membership, having discovered that this man had been demanding, was demanding what was described to us by young men, Sexual favors from these young men who were desperate for accommodation. So we had to take action. The matter before us today is a question. Does, does this matter of discipline or the matter of persistent blatant sin end with discipline being applied? Is that, is that all we're wanting to do? Or is there a way forward where the disciplined member can be restored. That's the important thing. Is there a way that this person can be restored as a member of the church and be reconciled back into the fellowship of the community? And that's the passage before us this morning. And uh, I'm going to take a while to get there because I think there's some uh, background that we need, some uh, context that must be given. Remember that Paul had been unfairly and falsely accused. That's what we saw last week. A group of members at this church in Corinth who were repeatedly bringing slanderous accusations. They were undermining the apostle. They were discrediting the apostle. And his authority was being affected as a ministry that he ought to bring as an apostle. Now, the details are not, are not clear. We, we don't know the exact Situation, but we can read between the lines and see that there had been a certain member at Corinth, the one being referred to in our text, who had publicly and maliciously attacked the apostle and really sinned repeatedly and blatantly. And so we may wonder, and, and this is where some of the background is necessary in understanding church discipline. Why the big deal? Why is there a need to do anything in this kind of situation, in these circumstances? Why, why is it such a serious thing when somebody is committing repeated and blatant sin? Well, firstly, the damage is widespread. In a situation of repeated sinful behavior... The consequence and the effect is not uh, limited. It's not contained. So Paul makes it clear in the passage before us that this, this jab to discredit him has consequence beyond personal offense that he may feel. Have a look at verse 5. Now, if anyone has caused pain, this is this person, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. In other words, it's not just about me, but the local body has been affected. And, and what we need to understand is that we're not just an association or an organization. 
But the local church, the church is organic in its nature. It's a living body. And so we have to understand, we need to see, uh, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, if one member suffers, all suffer together. So what one person does, does affect somebody else. When one body, part of the body hurts, the rest of the body is affected as well. And so what, what is it? If we could identify something at least over here, this unscrupulous behavior of this offender toward Paul, well, he hurt the church in the pain that they felt. The body was a little fragmented. It, was, it, it caused division. It, it, there, was, there was a divided community. But in this particular instance with the apostle, there's something more. The man had to be dealt with because the authority of Paul, now I need to pause there, why was that such an issue? Because he was one of the apostles. And at this point there was no New Testament canon. And so if the church lost confidence in the apostles, not only Paul but the others, they spoke as those who were led and moved by the Spirit through revelation, there would be no source of truth for them and even for us in subsequent generations. So the damage, the damage is widespread and disciplinary action was needed. Number two, the damage is spiritual. Paul personally and uh, must have spoken to the church regarding this matter. But he also wrote to them what is called, what he refers to as a severe letter. And in that church, again, reading between the lines, we can, we can see the, the, the sense is calling this man, calling those who were rebellious to repent. Saying to the church that you must confront him. You need to call him to repentance. The matter cannot be ignored. The way that he's behaved must be dealt with for the sake of the church, the gathered community. But the point I'm wanting to make in the present is for the sake of his soul. The individual's spiritual well-being. You see, what, what is the possible outcome for a person who drifts from their faith and we do nothing? What, what is the possible outcome? And the blunt answer given in the book of Proverbs, just to put it uh, in simple words, verse 16, chapter 21, one who wanders from the way of good sense will rest in the assembly of the dead. In other words, leading to a place where there will be a severing and, and a brokenness uh, from the faith. The person who is left in their sin will not be able to sing confidently, will not sing that, that song that we sing so often and, and so enthusiastically, it is well with my soul. Repeated, unrepentant sin hardens the heart. Look around you and see down the years, people you've known on an occasion uh, for a season, uh, believing the Lord, following the Lord, but then drifting into sin and, and the hardness of heart that develops and, and, and they're gone. They're nowhere. Leading this person often into unbelief, 
back in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we have an example there where the, uh, Paul goes so far as to say that the church must discipline this deviant sinner because he has his father's wife. And, and, and this is, he goes on to give this reason. You are to deliver this man to Satan. Can you see the extent that the discipline in this instance involves? Uh, for the destruction of the flesh. Why? So that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Are we concerned about somebody just in the present life? Or are we concerned about their spiritual well-being into eternity? That's why discipline is important. Anyone left to sin without being corrected, without being challenged, without being disciplined, may face eternal consequences of God's wrath. You see the seriousness of the matter? But number three, the discipline is redemptive. You see, the man needed to be placed under discipline, which we automatically think and believe is harsh and unkind. But what, what is the purpose of discipline? Now, the man, it was so wonderful to see all the children here this morning. And many parents here today, some of us older with older children, uh, some of us observing other families. Why do we discipline our children? It's to correct them, and it's because we love them. And we want to guide them. We want to direct them. So discipline is not about being uh, malicious. It's, it's not ab about wanting to just hurt them for the sake of satisfying our anger. And it's the same with God. Uh, God disciplines those that he loves. And, and so the church, the body of Christ, the purpose of church discipline, and, and, and there's a definition I found, is the spiritual restoration of fallen members. That's the point. And the consequent strengthening of the church and the glorifying of God. That's, that's the reason. And so in this instance, Paul had sent Titus with a severe letter. Uh, it's not in the New Testament, that letter. Then he waited for Titus to come, and he wanted to hear what happened. And Titus gives him a report when he gets back. The man had been disciplined. And wonderfully, in this instance, the man repented. He learned from the discipline. He repented. And so Paul, that's why he writes this particular section of this letter, verses 5 to 11. And now he says to the church, now it's time to forgive the man. Now it's time to restore him back into the fellowship. And so I move on to my second main point with that said, the need for forgiveness. How does the church respond to the disciplined member who repents. That's a very important uh, addendum to that verse. Not to everybody. It, it's how do you respond to the person who repents? The person who humbly comes and says, I recognize my sin. I've gone to God. I've confessed my sin. I want to be restored into the fellowship of the church. Again, I want to go back. I was a young pastor 25 years ago. I just moved here to Central. And the incident that happened at my previous church happened just in the months that I was leaving. And so when I got here a couple of weeks into my time here, uh, an elder from that church phoned me. He gave me some feedback on that incident and a question. This was the feedback. 
feedback was that one of the spouses that were that was guilty of this adultery, the one one of them that had moved into what I called the shacking up arrangement, confessed the sin. It was wonderful, good news to hear that. Admitting wrongdoing and a willingness to repent. So that was good news. That's the feedback. So the, the elder asked me a question. He said, what do they do? How, how do they proceed? Well, I gave him some uh, response. And uh, going back to this passage today, I think I gave him the right kind of advice. I suggested that the repenting person make a public apology for hurting the church, for grieving the Spirit of God, asking the congregation for forgiveness, and to do so at the next communion service. The person did it. It took a lot of courage. I know that person. The wonderful thing is, that particular action stopped all the corridor conversations. And the church just embraced this person and loved this person to this very day. Congregations ought to reciprocate, showing love and forgiveness, bringing the person back into the fellowship. And so my next sub-point, forgiveness is a wonderful gift to give. Now for the rest of the message, I'm going to talk about forgiveness. Forgiveness is a wonderful gift to forgive. Jay Adams puts it very well. He says, forgiveness is the oil that keeps the machinery of the Christian home and the Christian church running smoothly. Isn't that true? If there's no forgiveness, it's scratchy and bumpy and not lacquer. But if there's forgiveness, relationships are smooth. The functioning of the church is better. And so we, in a general sense of, 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 of relational connectedness, where we at times offend each other and we are offended, and it happens often, we ought to be a forgiving people. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. You see, getting to the specifics of this man, inasmuch as this disciplined member had repented, the congregation now has an obligation to respond by being forgiving so that this person can be restored and reconciled in the fellowship. Now I want to go a little bit on a rabbit trail of forgiveness. I want to think, I want us to think about the issue of forgiveness. What is, what is this thing called forgiveness? Well, to begin with, forgiveness is a promise from God to the repentant sinner. Have you ever thought of forgiveness in that sense? It's a promise from God to the one who comes to him with a broken and contrite heart. The one who comes affirming his or her own desperate need, recognizing his or her own sinfulness, and reaching out to the gospel of the Lord Jesus. He has the promise, wonderful promise from God. 
that this person's sin will never be remembered. That his, and I'm speaking his, but it can be her, that his sin will be buried in the depths of the deepest sea. That his sin will be removed as far as the east is from the west. That's, that's the nature of God's forgiveness. That his sin will never again be brought up in the mind of God or in the courts of heaven. It goes even further. Forgiveness is a promise that no charge will ever successfully be laid against that sinner. Think about that in terms of God's forgiveness of you. No charge ever from God regardless of that sin that you've committed. That no accusation against him will ever stand. A promise that under no circumstances will he ever be condemned. That's a promise. That's a great promise. Wonderful, amazing promise given out, coming out, given out from the heart of a loving and gracious God to the penitent sinner. Well, we've got to take it further. How are we then to forgive? Going back to Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32, forgiving one another as in as God in Christ forgave you. It's straightforward. There's no rocket science there. And so when somebody comes back after being disciplined and asks to be forgiven, what do we do? We make a promise that their sin will never be remembered. It will never be brought out again into the open. It will be buried in the depths of the deepest sea. It ought to be removed as far as the east is from the west. As far as it is possible with us to do that. God giving us that capacity. It will never be held against them. We will never point fingers back at that sin. And by it condemn them. That's forgiveness. Which leads me to the passage now in particular. Specifically forgiveness is a wonderful gift to give. But I want to show you now in the remainder of this message. That forgiveness glorifies God. There are many reasons, and I'm going to have to run through them quite quickly, that we can extract from this passage, uh, Paul showing us why forgiveness is an act of grace, and it honors and it pleases God. Number one, it honors and pleases God because to forgive is to show mercy. It's the kind of thing that God does. And so, yes, discipline had been applied. Its purpose had been accomplished. And so now here's a big lesson for us. There's no reason to keep the disciplinary action in place. Discipline must come to an end. Not only in the church, even with the children, surely. It's not forever. There's no need to keep flogging or labeling a brother or sister by keeping on. Oh, you know, this is the one that did it to Paul. Did Paul in. Or in maybe our context, this is the one. He, he, that, that man always had his fingers in the offering bag. It happens, by the way. Or, 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 or this is the one that, that cheated on his or her spouse. The person has repented. The person has suffered enough. And now it's time to show mercy. It's the nature of forgiveness. 
As God forgives us, we forgive others. Verse 6, for such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. Secondly, God is honored because to forgive is to restore joy. Now, I, I can only imagine what it must feel like to have been disciplined, to, to have been identified by the body as, as someone who needs to be, uh, 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 who has been identified as committing a blatant sin. It, it, it's shameful. We, we, this person would feel it. And, and, and it must have been so hard for, for anyone, and is so hard for anybody to return amongst those who were offended. Psalm 51 that I prayed earlier on, David confessed that sin destroys joy. We know that. I think in our own experiences, it's unavoidably true. Sin sucks the joy out of your soul. And so he prays in 51 verse 12, Restore me to the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with a willing spirit. And so God has forgiven this disciplined person. And so we too forgive that person. We who have been forgiven, forgive. And by doing so, we eliminate that awkward elephant in the room. You know what I'm saying? When you know somebody, but they haven't uh, quite uh, uh, reconciled with that person, there's this, this awkwardness. And by doing so, we're able to come alongside in what he speaks of in this verse as a sincere comfort. And so you should rather, verse 7, you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Rather forgive to restore joy. Another way that God is honored when we forgive, because to forgive is to affirm love. Verse 8, so I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. Now, Paul is pleading here, he's, he's, he's begging in this particular instance, and he uses a very interesting word in English, reaffirm. And it, it's a technical term, a technical term that, that, that is used to legally ratify something. We could say it means to reach a formal conclusion. In this case, most cases of uh, severe discipline, a public announcement is made regarding the particular individual. And so now Paul is saying, well, if you did that to discipline the person, it's now very necessary to publicly affirm your love for the same individual. He's asking for the same kind of formality, concluding the matter by a formal affirmation of love, formally ratifying the restoration of the man back into our fellowship. He's repented of his sin. We love the brother. And so the church displays a collective love as well as an individual love for him. And by this, God is glorified. Next one. God is honored because to forgive is to prove obedience. Now, I thought about this for a bit, and I thought, what is Paul really saying here? I concluded the problem is our feelings, when it comes to issues of discipline or thinking about the need to discipline, our feelings can get in the way of any kind of action. 
Either we don't have the courage, we don't, we don't have the courage to confront because now this is a friend. Or we really deep down in our hearts believe we don't or should not do this. On the other end of the event, and this is also a problem, the disciplined person now repenting and needing to be restored, we so easily can retain feelings of resentment toward that person. Or we nurture a grudge ongoing grudge toward that person. And so what Paul is saying over here is obedience in all matters or disobedience in all matters or some matters exposes your and my tenderness or hardness of heart toward God. Selective obedience doesn't pass the test is what he's saying. Verse 9, this is why I wrote, that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Not only the discipline, but also the restoration. To do what God says by disciplining. And when discipline has done its work, forgiving. Rather than doing what we feel or think, we need to demonstrate submission to God. It honors Him as head of the church. Next one. God is honored in forgiving because to forgive is to restore fellowship. Verse 10. Anyone you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I've forgiven, I have forgiven. If I've forgiven, anything has been for your sake, for the presence of Christ. I hope by now in this message we're seeing that forgiveness, both ways, being forgiven and forgiving is a characteristic experience amongst People who are recipients of grace. This is, applies to all professing believers. He mentions uh, the phrase here in the presence of Christ because he's thinking there of the accomplishment of redemption and forgiveness that Jesus achieved on the cross. So what does forgiveness do? It, it removes wedges that divide. It removes obstacles that alienate people uh, from each other. Fellowship is restored. Relationships are reestablished and gospel partnerships are forged ahead. So I try to think now, how can I, how can I put this? And, and I eventually came up with this, uh, this, this saying as an analogy. Um, you, you can't say you're a swimmer and you never get wet. Isn't that true? So you can't say you're a Christian and you don't forgive. These two things go together. They're inseparable. Jesus made this clear. The parable of the two debtors, and I simply refer to this. And he simply made the point that anyone who had their, their huge, indescribable debt of sin cancelled by God must forgive the lesser debt to the one offended him. Have a look at that parable. Also in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you, uh, forgive your trespasses. Do you get the idea? It's, it's, it, it, it works out in the life of a believer if you have been forgiven. This amazing gift of grace influences you in your relationships with others. I found this quote, this I thought was quite funny, but so true. John Wesley, uh, on an occasion, uh, had this happen to him. He had offended this British general by the name of Oglethorpe. 
And uh, he was really offended, and he exploded, and, and he shouted out to Wesley, um, I never forgive. To which Wesley replied, well then, sir, I hope you never sin." Isn't that often true of ourselves? We so easily refuse to forgive others, forgetting that we too stand in need of forgiveness because we are sinners. Here's another reason, last reason in the passage why God is honored uh, when we are forgiving. To forgive is to prevent Satan doing his work. I wanted to spend a whole message on this actually because this is so, so important. You see, all of the above, whether you're showing mercy or restoring joy, affirming love, proving obedience, restoring fellowship, God is glorified. God is honored. Uh, God is exalted. The church is edified. Uh, the church is built, and the church is fruitful and productive. And, and, and so, oh, the enemy, the unscrupulous enemy, Satan. Verse 11, why do we forgive? So that we would not be outwitted by Satan. For we are not ignorant of his designs. And the important thing to think about is, are you aware of Satan and his designs? He wants to nurture unforgiveness. He wants to convince you that you should not forgive that person who has offended you or the church. He wants to nurture in you and in others and, and among the people of the church bitterness. Devil has every intent to fragment the church and bring in division. He wants to see the church broken and the gospel butchered. He wants to see people driven to sin. He wants to see that when they are confronted by their sin, that they are driven to despair, not to repentance. He wants to take the sin against people and again drive them to places of self-pity and distance from grace. Bottom line is, folk, Satan wants to rip the church apart. He wants to tear the church in pieces. Well-known scriptures, we quote them, but do we believe them? Satan, like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Satan, disguised as an angel of light, coming to deceive, using people. He wants to sift us like wheat, Jesus warning Peter to destroy our faith. And so we must not be, at Central Baptist, we must not be ignorant of Satan's devices, his designs, his plots, his wiles, his cunning craftiness, his deceit. Forgive. Forgive. And by so doing, you won't let Satan do his work. I thought of Ephesians 6 verse 10, Be strong in the Lord. And in his mighty strength, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Well, uh, uh, just a, a, a couple of words in conclusion. Forgiveness is a blessing. It's a wonderful gift from God. In Christ, looking back to the cross, understanding the blessing and benefit the merits of his work on the cross. But being recipients of grace is also a duty. We have a duty. We have an obligation because we're a body, the body of Christ of which he is the head. 
And so we need to be aware to keep relations, relationships, uh, accounts in relationships uh, short. And, and praying the prayer, and I thought I would end with this, pray the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That sets the scene. God, you are to be honored. And we want to honor you in this particular area of responsibility. Your kingdom come, your will be done. You rule on earth even as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. But here's, here's the focus. Forgive us our debts. Not only in the distant past, but yesterday and even this morning. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. May God help us to live that out in this context, we pray. Lord, I do pray to this end, a consciousness of the greatness of grace, that which you have done, that we refer to, that we look back to in redemption. Thank you for the, uh, the cost that uh, was required to bring about a dealing with our guilt, bringing about forgiveness. But Lord, may we not be those who uh, speak only of, forgiven, of forgiveness. May we also be a church and individuals who forgive and are forgiving. And so we pray this for us. And Lord, perhaps even in the context of a home, a need this morning between a husband and a wife, perhaps between a parent and a child, or child and a parent. Uh, perhaps even in the context of the church, a broken relationship that needs to be restored. And so, so Lord, not just in the bigger and, and uh, extreme context of, of discipline, but just in our day-to-day -day relationships, help us, Lord, to be as those who are not only forgiven, but also forgiving, we pray. And Lord, we pray that in this you would be honored, that you would be glorified, that it would be seen that this is the work of God, the abundance of your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.